0: Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. Well, good morning. It's great seeing you. I'd be remiss to miss this opportunity to not say Happy Mother's Day to my mom. What an honor for me to be able to be here on a Sunday where it's Mothering Sunday. Uh, Also to my sister, I think she's also in the house, who is a a fantastic mother in her own right, and so give it up to her as well. I love being here. I love being here. I love what it is that God is doing at C3, Uh, so much so whether you're at the Colchester site or whether you're at the Berry site, you're online with us right now or you're in the prison, we are so thankful that we have this relationship with you. Can we, C3 Cambridge, give it up for our locations right now? Come on. As was mentioned, this is week two, week two in a new fake news series. You know this to be true in your life. I know it to be true in my life as well, that we are subject to a crisis of belief. Whether it's through cryptic algorithms on the social space or whether it be even the news channel that we prefer to listen to Monday through Friday, the reality is oftentimes we're faced with the question what do we believe? And more importantly, who do we believe? And the reality is there is a great tension there. Whether you're stateside as I am currently or whether you're here in the British Isles, no matter where it is that you are, the reality is there is an agenda. The reality is, there is a perspective and there is a leaning in which the news is presented. and so much so, unfortunately at times we are swept aside in the social space in terms of Twitter or Instagram or whatever it might be in terms of believing something that is not to be believed. But thanks be to God, we have God. And thanks be to God, we have truth. Not only do we have truth, but we can have life, and we can know the way to life. So much so, Jesus was the one that said in John 14:6, "I am the way." The truth, and say it with me, the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's right. So much so, this past week, I was reading something about our faith lives. It was really fascinating, actually. It's a new study that's come out from Harvard University. And I know it's no Cambridge University, but bear with me for a moment. It's as good as I got right now. Harvard University have a program called the Human Flourishing Program. And what they have identified is within this human flourishing, there is a direct correlation between one's faith and one's capacity to determine what's true and right in terms of what they hear, but also the direct correlation in terms of their faith and a rising quality of life in their life. I don't have time to get into all of it right now, but let me tell you, there's greater social support, greater friendships, deeper peace, better mental health, better marriages. You're more generous if you know Jesus. But then here's the thing. None of those were a big surprise to me, but then this one was a big surprise. And I'm going to quote this: "An interesting aspect of the religious participation research is that it suggests that it is religious service attendance, rather than self-assessed spirituality, or religiosity, or private practice, that most most powerfully predicts health and well-being." Stunning, actually that it is the gathering. So here is the point as we kind of kick off week two in this series, do yourself a favor, pay attention to the research, forge habits of faith. And when at all possible, while there are many online with us right now, when at all possible, recognize that it is community and the context of community that brings about transformation in your life. And it is attendance in terms of gathering together as a people where life on life discipleship happens. So pay attention to that research, lean into these moments. They come few and far between. If you miss a Sunday here or there, that's okay, but be faithful to immerse yourself in the reality of a discipleship context such as this. Why? Because we need it. And so whether you're at Barry right now or Colchester or online, here's the truth for all of you. And for those of you in the prison, find those that you can entrust your life to. Find those that they have then this opportunity to speak into your life because truly that is where life change. So with all that being said, we're going to get into part two today of fake news with a message rooted in the first 18 verses in John's gospel. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to what is known as the prologue. The prologue in John's euangelion, a euangelion, a Greek word that speaks about the context of something good that can be communicated, good news, the gospel, the euangelion. With John. We're going to look today at three remarkable truths redemptive truths and relational truths. Three things that truth is revealed to us in the person of Jesus. And as I made mention of, we can take this to the bank metaphorically, we can trust our lives upon this. Why? Because it is true. Three truths that are all rooted there in the opening verses of John's prologue. And I wanna encourage you as Elspeth did last weekend and that is to study John's gospel, read it. Don't just allow it to be taught or referenced on a weekend, but get into it. 21 chapters, 879 verses or thereabouts, but don't quote me, I'm not good on numbers, especially in public. But the truth is that is a fantastic letter for you to get into. Read it, study it, and avail your life to it. So much so, we begin John 1, 1 and 2. Way back ago in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. Here is John the Apostle taking us back to the earliest moments of creation. Frankly, this moment in creation is one of those passages, one of those references in Scripture where it presents to us this doctrinal belief about the Trinity, the triune nature of God. It is an essential belief that we hold to this Father, Son, and Spirit, not Father, Son, and Holy Scripture, but the Holy Spirit, the triune nature of God. And this reference, perhaps more than any other reference in all of Scripture, speaks about the essential belief about the doctrine of the Trinity. And then pay attention to the carefully capitalized word, word, in the beginning was the capital W word. Here is John directly pointing to a word logos. And in the first century in Greek culture, logos was this abstract force, you might say. The logos was this capacity to create or this capacity to bring about something of a change. And so much so, John here in this moment says, and he takes their word in the Greek culture and says, you use the word logos in an abstract way. You use it in such a way to where it's a verb, but it's actually a noun, it's the person of Jesus. And so he says, Jesus was there at the very beginning. So I want you to recognize this because this is all very important as we begin to introduce point number one here in a few minutes. And this is gonna be somewhat theological. So track with me, strap on, hold on, because we wanna introduce a theological concept where the truth is revealed by John. Here in this moment, Father, Son, and Spirit are together in community. In unity, but in a common sense of unity, community. And in that place, it then says man was formed. Genesis 2, 7. No need to turn to Genesis. We'll be back to John momentarily. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the very breath of life. Now, remember that visual of breath. (sighs) Ruach, the breath of God. The Hebrew word there is ruach, and it speaks about breath being put into something to bring forth life. And at that moment, the man became a living creature. Okay, track with me. In this moment, it says man was formed from the dust of the ground. Maybe there was some moisture. I don't know if you were up early today, but it was raining hard. I'm on jet lag right now. So I was wide awake from two until five. Fantastic, fantastic (laughs) not. But there was rain creating moisture, creating the swelling of dust becoming dirt. Well, in this context, it says that God took dirt And it was, while formed in the image of man and formed to be a representative of the image of God, it lacked something of essence and that was life. And in this moment, it says that God breathed into the dirt. So I want you to visualize this. I want you to imagine a camera angle right here and God and mankind, mankind is represented by a lump of dirt, if you will, a clot. God then goes, and in that moment, camera angle right here, think of the proximity in order for breath to be received, man comes alive in that moment. Eyes open. What is the very first thing that man sees? Up close and personal, God. And in this moment, that is the image that I believe that John is wanting to lead us to here momentarily when we go back into John's gospel about the work of Christ in our lives. So much so, Jesus breathes life into mankind. And the very first thing they recognize is God. And then it says that they were given responsibility or authority. Do you know where it was? It was a garden. And they were put within the garden. They were told to tend to the garden, to be fruitful and to multiply and demonstrate dominion over the garden. It even says there in verse 8, the Lord planted a garden for them in Eden, in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. It was also idyllic until it wasn't. It was idyllic with germination and multiplication and color and all these great things. And then all of a sudden things fell apart. Why? Sin came into the world. And sin created this distance, this disparity, this this sense of loss of relationship. And ever since this moment, mankind has been trying to get back to that moment to see God face to face again and to feel the breath of God. Every worship song we sing, Come close, breath of God fall upon me. Every prayer we pray, God, would you come close into this situation and would you do a miracle? We're all trying to get back to, don't forget this, this moment in creation. So why do I take so much time to develop this? His why. I believe that in John one verses one and two, John purposefully goes back to the beginning to show us a truth about Jesus. So much so throughout John's gospel, there will be glimpses of creation. Intentional references and glances back to creation to say, do you remember what happened then? But everything was lost. If you have your Bibles, now turn with me to John 20 and I want you to have an aha moment recognizing, wow, look what Jesus does for us. John 20 is this moment, verse 15 onwards, where Mary Magdalene, a former demon-possessed woman who has experienced the kingdom of God through Jesus is where? She is back in a place called the garden. And she is in the garden, yet she is full of distress. Why? Because Jesus has gone. And I wanna read these verses to you, and then we're gonna get into the first point. Jesus says to her, verse 15, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And then look what John, the author, John, the apostle of this euangelion writes. He almost writes parenthetically, supposing him to be the gardener. Don't miss the symbolism here. This is John saying, oh, they're not gonna miss this. They're gonna love this, why? Because it's gonna take their minds back to creation. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus says to her, Mary. She turns. She looks face to face with the now resurrected Jesus again and says to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, now pay attention to this, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers. She is the first preacher of Easter, by the way. She is a female preacher preaching the kingdom of God on Easter. And he says to her, then go and tell the brothers this, say this to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and she announced to the disciples, don't miss this moment, I have seen the Lord. Okay, the symbolism here is this, that John wants us to recognize this truth about Jesus, that Jesus goes right back to the very place where the relationship was severed, back to the garden, And not only does he go back to the garden to restore what was lost in the garden of creation, now with this image of new creation, he then says, Mary, look at me, look at me. And it says they looked face to face, face to face. John's point is that Jesus is the inauguration of the new creation. Jesus is the one that then takes all of creation that happened that one time And then wants to bring about now saying Jesus comes to bring about this inaugurated eschatology. It's a long word that simply means the beginning of the end things. Jesus is the beginning of the end things. Why? He is the truth revealed coming to say creation was broken. We broke it. But then God sends his son back to restore it. But there's even more here. What happens that same night of the resurrection? He goes and he sees Mary. Mary goes back and tells the guys there at the house. And all of a sudden it says, Jesus appeared to them in the house. Well, he is resurrected in resurrected body. Our resurrected bodies won't be like clouds, like ethereal, like drinking Red Bull, drinking on the cloud, playing a violin or whatever. It won't be like that. We will have an actual body. So Jesus goes there, and I wonder if he like knocked on the door or just walked in and sat down. And they're like, whoa. But then what happens there? And don't, don't forget what happened over here at creation. He breathed into the clod. Remember the camera angle we spoke about? He breathed into the clod. What happens over here? He goes into the house. You can read all about this. And he breathes on them. <sighs> well, Why? It wasn't customary in Hebrew at that time to have breathy greetings. Jesus didn't go up to Matthew and go, hi, Matthew. (laughs) Like he'd be like, whoa, you're weird, bro. Get away from me. Can you imagine welcoming people into your group this week going, hey, so so glad you're here. You'd be like, you're weird. Never coming back here again. Here is the point. What is happening? John is revealing. Now don't miss this moment. The cosmic connection between the creation of the Genesis account, with the moment of new creation in the person of Jesus, much in the same way where life came into the clot through breath, in the same way now the church receives the breath of life to be the people of God, to live out the mission of God. Truth number one, truth number one, Jesus is the inauguration of the new creation. And where Genesis represents the documentation of creation, John's gospel represents the inauguration of the new creation, meaning he goes back to where it all went wrong and says, let's start it all over again. Verse three, all things were made <clears throat> through, through him and without him was not anything that was made. Verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of man, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, point two, Jesus is the illumination of the new life. You might be walking through darkness right now. You might be experiencing some real pain in your life right now. You might be in a place in your life right now where it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Maybe you're at Barry or at Colchester right now or online or in the prison. You look at your life and you take inventory of your life and you go, it's full of darkness, but for Jesus. Jesus is the illumination of the new life. Not only is he the breath of life, but he is the light of life. He is the one to bring light into our darkness. So much so it says though, let's not miss him because of verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his very own, this is verse 11 in John 1, he came to his very own and his own people did not receive him. This is speaking about Israel. This is speaking about the people that were the religious leaders, the elite, the established, those who had memorized great portions of the Torah. And John says, he came to them and they didn't receive him. Well, as sad as that is in terms of that context, it is even more sad today in our context. And here's why. We too can have church and miss Jesus. We too can go through the motions we can believe, wow, God, I know where you tell me to park over at Sainsbury's, if you're here on Cambridge site or over wherever you are on any site. You know where it is that God tells you to park. You know how you walk into the building. You know where to find arguably some of the best coffee or tea in town and you get all that. And you come in and you sit down in the seat that the Lord assigned to you at his death. He gave you the seat that you're sitting on right now and you know all of that, but you can go through the motions of church and yet you can miss Jesus. Now, Jesus is here right now. Jesus is with you right now, but we can miss Jesus. And contrary to what I said in the introduction regarding the value of attendance, you need to know something. It is not attendance that catches the heart of God, but repentance. It is coming to the place of repentance saying, God, I desperately need you in my life. So in that same way, yes, Jesus is the illumination of the new life. Yes, he is the inauguration of the new creation. All of those truths are true about Jesus, but we can miss it. We can miss it. So much so, he says, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only, the father full of grace and truth. But there is a passage there that I want us to use as we springboard even into some of the application of our message this weekend. And that is in verse 12. To all who receive him, To all who receive him, who believe in his name, and this is the upside of everything that John writes in the opening chapter, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become the children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let me give you a Greek word. The Greek word for believe there is pastero, pastero, pastero. And what it means is, it means this absolute dependence upon for you to be sustained. We use the word belief in many whimsical ways. We might say, I believe I'll arrive at four o'clock so I can pick up the kids. I believe it will rain this afternoon, fair prediction. I believe it will rain and so it's gonna rain. We can use the word believe for a lot of whimsical things. But in this passage right here, pastero means something of where you're absolutely dependent upon it. He says, when you're absolutely dependent upon the name of Jesus, You become a child of God. Now, let me give you a visual to help understand this. You are currently, most of you in the room right now, I am not, incidentally, most of you are posterowing in something. That is a new word for a Sunday morning, posterowing in something. You are currently posterowing in something. I am not, but you are posterowing in your chair. And while I am not, and yet while I am a pastor, and so that means I have a degree in chairology, I know a lot about chairs. As a pastor, I know how many can fit in a room. I know the fine quality of the Chinese steel of which you are sitting upon right now. I know how many of the rows need to be, how many we need to add as people come in late, I mean on time, all those things. I have a degree in chairology, and yet you do not. And yet when you came in today, you pasteroed without any reservation. You just slumped the weight and the shape of your life upon your chair. And you've entirely placed the weight and the shape, again, forgive the visual of the shape, but the place, the weight and the shape of your life upon that chair. In that same way, John says, when you entirely trust the weight and shape of your life upon God, And you put your trust in that which is the capacity of that which you are seated upon, not in your capacity to be seated well. Some of you slumped into your chair. Some of you, based upon your age, gently lowered yourself into your chair. I have a herniated disc right now. When I get into a chair, I'm like a 90-year-old. I'm like lowering myself down. No matter how it is that you chose to lower yourself, ultimately you trusted upon what was beneath you. John says, when you ultimately trust what is beneath you, you become a child of God. So many more things here to say. I'm so used to speaking for longer on a Sunday, so let me curtail this long-winded American accent English with the final point. If you have your Bibles, turn over to the final verse that we'll look at here this morning, verse 29, John 1, to our final point. The next day, this is John the Baptist, speaking of Jesus as recorded by John the apostle, the author. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, now this is our third and final truth revelation about Jesus. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When we see that phrase, we can often think of lambs are cute. We like lambs, they're cute and white and fluffy. But in the context of first century Jerusalem, a lamb was never viewed as cute and white and fluffy, but red and dead and sacrificial. And in this moment where John the Baptist says of Jesus, behold the lamb of God, what he was saying was, he was speaking of Passover. And allow me a moment to unpack this for you. There is this moment of Passover, as you know, where the head of the home would have to go to prevent the dark spirit of the destroyer to come over in the Passover of the Exodus. And he would go and take a lamb and he would kill that lamb. And by killing that lamb and placing the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost and the lintel of that home, when the dark destroyer would come through, it would see the blood and it would turn because that family was covered by the blood and that lamb was sacrificed. But through sacrificing that lamb, that firstborn son would remain alive. There are layers and layers of symbolism here that I encourage you to study. But in this moment, Jesus says, I am the lamb. John the Baptist says, behold the lamb. John the author will repeatedly go back to behold the lamb of God. Why? Jesus came. Not only to, let's recap, inaugurate new creation so that the people of God can now fulfill the mission of God based upon the timeline of God. And where in creation, it was all people that were commissioned to be the people of God. In the new creation, through redeeming the brokenness of the story of the Old Testament, Jesus comes now to redeem us, the people of God, to live out the mission of God. He is the beginning of that new creation. He is the light in your darkness. And third, He is the instrumentation of the new Exodus. And now don't miss this moment. Where in the Old Testament it was many lambs, thousands upon thousands of lambs for one nation. Now with Jesus, it's one lamb, the Lamb of God, for every nation. That is truth revealed. That is truth revealed. And I'll tell you, the life of Christ is just as intentional as it is in the cosmic sense, as it is inspirational in the relational sense, because through Jesus, you can build your life upon something of substance. You can trust Him. So surrender your life to Him. We're gonna respond in just a moment, but. Can we pray together as we prepare our hearts to respond? Those of you at different sites, locations, take this time, pray with us and then position your life to respond. Surrender it to Jesus. Let's pray. Spirit of God, come. Awaken our hearts to a new creation. Open our eyes to the illumination of the new life may we recognize that through the blood of the singular lamb every nation every people everyone who calls upon the name of the lord shall be covered by the blood and saved by the son and now when you the father see us as your sons and daughters you don't see us standing in the shadow of our shame but you see us standing in the shadow of your son thank you jesus